Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. Today's text, um, as we continue um, our, our trek through the book of Isaiah, is the 65th chapter. And today's text, I think, answers for us maybe two questions that you've probably had at some point and maybe are wrestling with even now. And it's this. One is, what will heaven be like? And a follow-up to that is, who will be there? Right? What will heaven be like and who will be there? You may have had those moments where you've been in a funeral and you just kind of wonder those thoughts like, man, I, I, I hope I get to see that person again. Or maybe you had assurance that they are in Christ and you are in Christ. And, and so you had this, this delight that came over you, this, this joy in the midst of your sadness of getting to see them. You wondered maybe in those moments like, right, like, I wonder what they're seeing right now. Like, I wonder what heaven is like. Maybe you've just pondered that in your own mortality of the fact you realize that someday you're going to die. And you wonder, what, what, what will heaven be like? What will it be like there? And Today's text just kind of brings those things out to us and, and answers. And um, I've got some good news and some bad news. Is it about 2,000 years ago, an expert witness on heaven walked on the scene? His name was Jesus. He was from Nazareth. And so they called him Jesus of Nazareth. And the Bible tells us that he's, in fact, God's own son. He's fully man and yet fully God. And he walks on the scene. And Matthew records for us in the seventh chapter this statement of Jesus about heaven. He says that, Heaven is a narrow road that leads there, and only a few will find it. But he says there's another place called hell. And he said the road there is really, really wide. It's big. It's like an interstate. And he says many there are that are on it. And so as we come to this text today, I think there's a temptation for all of us is that we want our best life now. Like we desire like for things to go good for us. Like we are tempted to live for the now rather than for the then. Like we, we want to do whatever we can do to secure our own happiness, to find our own joy, to have security. And yet no matter how hard we try, and you've probably experienced this if you live long enough, you just can't keep it. You, you've tried to find joy. You've tried to have security. You've hoped for peace. And man, like relationships struggle. People get sick and die. Things end right? Jobs change or, or maybe just disappear. Finances struggle. Like you've probably had moments where you've just experienced the lack of, guess what? That you can't secure the things that you wish you could. And the people of Isaiah's day, guess what? They're trying the very same things that we are and they also fail. And so today I want you to kind of be reassured of this hope that there's another way that you can actually live now for the then. That today you could live now in light of or in response to what's coming according to Isaiah 65. And so this promise today is going to be of a new heaven, a new earth, a place where there's no death, there's no tears. A place where people, even they haven't even finished praying or speaking to God and He already answers. A place where even the wolf and the lamb can lie down together. This place that we hear about, listen, I want it to give you perseverance to live now in light of them, to live now in hope of them, to live now and leverage your life in response to the then. Remember who Isaiah writes to. 
He writes to people that have been driven or will be driven from their homeland, their temple destroyed, their place of worship. They're going to spend 70 years in Babylonian captivity. And so these folks have to hear about a place that's going to be new and they're hoping and longing for that day. But listen, it's so far away from them. And the temptation for us is, guess what? It feels the same for us. We hear about this new heaven, this new earth, this place that is going to be all great and grand, and yet it feels so distant from the place that we live now. And so today's message, as all messages do, they require just faith. To live your life now for the then. So let's answer these two questions that text Isaiah presents to us today. One is, what will heaven be like? And secondly, and who will be there? Isaiah begins with answering for us who will actually be there. Pick up when you would begin in verse 1 of the 65th chapter of Isaiah. The Lord says, I was ready to be sought by those who, notice this striking statement, did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. This baby's got a walk. God's salvation is a moment in which he's offering his, his, his salvation to those who are not even asking for him, from those who are not even seeking after him. Then listen to this. He said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. God's speaking to people that aren't even his people. Something's happening here. Some great moment in the text that God's doing for people that aren't even thinking about him today. People that are at home today, they're not even thinking, right? The people that are out living their life today, people that are just, listen, consumed by their own kingdom today. And God is yet saying, I am going to reveal myself to those people who aren't asking for me, people who aren't even seeking me. And then the striking statement, verse 2. God says, I spread out my hands. To spread out your hands is a way in which often they would pray, right? And we hear about it sometimes in the New Testament that men are able to lift holy hands in prayer. They would lift their hands in prayer. Or they would spread out their hands in a way of praying. And so God is literally acting as if He is one of us, praying, asking. Look what He asked here. All the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. God spreads out His hand and says, Would you come? Why will you continue living for your own kingdom? Why will you keep spending your life for that which will never satisfy? It's this great moment of mercy and grace. Now listen to this statement here. He says that these people are following their own devices. The New American Standard renders it following their own thoughts. They are worshiping according to what Paul says in Romans 1. They are worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. Paul says, listen, everybody is hardwired to know that there is a God. And yet, in fact, we hear this and know it deep within. As Ecclesiastes says that God has set the eternity in the hearts of all people. There's a realization that there's a God. And yet in our desire to live our, our own devices or our own thoughts or our own ways, we begin to suppress this truth and suppress it by the way that we live. And so Paul writes and, and he listens. He says, I, I want you to know that there's a God of grace and there's a God of mercy. And, and yet Paul is dealing with something that's difficult in his day. See, Isaiah writes in, here in 700 B.C. And it says that God is stretching out his hands to his people. And his people are saying, God, we don't want you. We want the things of the world. And now Paul comes after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The Messiah has come and he looks at the Jewish people. And guess what they're still saying? We don't want him. 
That's not our Messiah. And then Paul looks to all these Gentiles, these people that don't have the law, who didn't have Abraham, who didn't know about Moses, who the people that weren't delivered out of bondage, these heathens, these godless people, these people who were consumed by sexual immorality, who were worshiping all these false gods and idols and had little statues up and they were going into all these false temples and they were just doing all these heinous things. And it says that God is revealing himself and these people hear the gospel and they say, I desire that Christ. And yet God's people, might we even say the church folk, hear it time and time again and yet are rejecting it. And so listen to how Paul makes sense of this. Maybe you'll recognize his words. Romans 10, beginning verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Paul's trying to make sense. Why are so many of God's own people rejecting the gospel? Why? Again, we're trying to answer who will be there. And Paul is saying, I'm struggling to capture this. Listen to how he makes sense of it. Verse 20 of Romans 10. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And then listen as he gives us clarity on who this is. But of Israel. So it indicates that he's speaking here not about Israel in verse 20. Right? There's a contrast. So this is about Gentiles. These are about people that aren't God's people, right, according to the covenant. Those who have not had Abraham and the law and Moses and on and on and all the prophets. But of Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The sense that Paul makes of, listen, the fact that he's presenting the gospel to the Jewish people and they're rejecting it, the sense that he makes of that is this. Isaiah's prophecy was true. The words of Isaiah the prophet here in Isaiah 65 verse um, 1 and 2 is true. It's the very truth of what Paul has come to understand that God's people are rejecting him. And so what we learn is that, listen, that, that people's issue is not a lack of preparation, right? They've been prepared by year and year. It's not a lack of information. These people have a heart issue. Look what he says here again back in verse 2. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people. The word rebellious indicates stubborn, right, or never satisfied. Does that sound like you or somebody you know, right? I mean, they're just like maybe you had moments where your marriage stumbles and yet you just keep right on going. Why? Because you assume it has to be your spouse. It couldn't be you. Instead of taking a moment just to repent or, or maybe you had a moment in your life, right, where things went, went kind of bad for you. You made some poor decisions. Maybe it was a run the law or whatever. But by God's grace, you were able to, to keep going on, right? And your job didn't change. Your relationships didn't fail. But yet you found yourself indignant or angry because maybe God hasn't done more for your family. And so this rebelliousness of never being satisfied, like, man, just God, God's not done enough for you. And so you just feel angry, this bitterness toward God. Or maybe we just need to take this text a little bit further and apply it to us here. Listen, many of us know the fact, and you, you probably could look around today and think about this. Think about how many of maybe your brothers or sisters, maybe even your children or grandchildren, grew up in the church, cousins, friends, grew up in the church just like you. And now look around, they're nowhere to be seen. Might we say today from this text that there has to be something more than just hearing the Word of God, there must be a work of the Spirit. 
There must be a work of the Holy Spirit because you can hear this gospel again and again and again. As Mark Lowe, one of our former pastors, used to say, the same sun that softens the butter also hardens the brick of just hearing this gospel. So we realize there must be a movement of God's Spirit, the Spirit of God. As Jesus said, He will come and He will convict you in regards to sin. He will bring conviction that your life is in contrast to the Son of God and you are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes right there in Romans 10, dealing with this issue. Isaiah writes and deals with this issue. We now, right, 2,000 years plus removed, 2,700 years removed from Isaiah, still deal with this issue. So what happens when people reject God? It's not that they reject religion altogether. Watch what happens with the text here. Further in verse 3. A people who provoke me to my face continually... Notice what they're still doing, though. Sacrificing in gardens, making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. So notice the people are still sacrificing. They're still making their offerings Right? They're still enjoying the feast, but they're doing the very things that are contradictory to the Word of God. It's not that they quit becoming religious. Their religion just looks different. Right? I mean, when we think about those things in our culture, and the reality is, right? I mean, I saw this hashtag this week. It was going around a national coming out day. It was like love wins. And the, and the very indictment of that statement is to say that our God's not loving. And yet this is the very God who stands to a rebellious people and says, how much longer will you reject me? I loved you so much that I gave my very son for you in the midst of your rebellion and sin. And yet by our culture standards, that God's not loving. But of course they are. Because love wins. See, the careful, we must be careful as we come and we begin to try to mold or shape the God that we want to worship. That He doesn't look like us. That He doesn't begin to think and affirm the very things that we think are right. Why? Because we want a God who looks like us, who acts like us, who thinks like us. Deep down, we all want to be God. And so this text reminds us today of that truth of what happens when people reject God. It's not that they just give up on any hope of God at all. They just want themselves to be God. So how do you tell if someone is true or genuine, right? Like how might we know today if someone is actually a follower of God or right? Because sometimes it can be just hard to tell. Look what happens here, this analogy that he shares. Jump with me to verse 8 here in Isaiah 65. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster. So he's going to use some imagery, right, of some grapes here, right? So we have new wine found in the cluster. And they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. So I will do for my servant's sake and not destroy them all. So here's what's happening. He's using this imagery of the vine. And he's saying, listen, as you would go to the vine, you would pull off a cluster of grapes. What you would find on that is there would be some good and some what? Some bad. And instead of saying, listen, why don't you just take and just get rid of all of them? He's saying, no, 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 no. There's some good on here. Right. Look what he says there again. And they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing. There's some good. So I will do for my servant's sake and not destroy them all. 
God's saying, listen, just like that in my people, just like a cluster of grapes, there's some good and some bad. And sometimes it's really hard to tell. They both appear to be on the vine. They both appear, right, to be singing the same songs. They appear to be reading from the same Bible. They appear to even maybe serve in the similar ministries. And yet, God says, look, I don't look at the outward appearance, what man looks at. God looks at what? The heart. God sees your heart today. God sees my heart today. The pretending, the fakeness, the sour grapes that are in our heart. God, listen, He sees it. And He says, listen, I want you to know that there's coming a day when I will reveal the true from the fake, the faithful from the frauds. And it's so hard. Listen, remember, they were asking Jesus, like, Jesus, bring judgment now. He says, no, let them both grow together until the end. And that day, there will be a separation for those who are faithful on my right, the sheep. And there will be the goats, the weeds on the left. But they're growing together now. And it's hard to tell. It's hard to see. But he's using this imagery to help us see that God is seen. He knows the true condition of every heart here today. So stop faking it. Stop faking. God sees your heart. And yet in that condition that you are in, God still sent His Son for you. That's why it's good news. We're in rebellion against this God. And yet in His love, He sent His Son So listen, God goes further, Isaiah goes further here to show us the condition of the heart, to help us see the true and the genuine. Watch how the text moves forward. Verse 9, I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it and my servants shall dwell there. Further, verse 11, but you forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny. I will destine you to the sword. And all of you shall bow down to the slaughter because, here's here's his reasoning behind this, because when I called, he's noticed what he does. He calls and they do not what? They don't answer. God speaks and they don't what? They don't listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes and notice what they're choosing here. Here's what they choose. They choose what God does not delight in. Authentic faith. Listen, we're starting to see what authentic faith is. Authentic faith are those who hear God's word and respond. And by responding, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, they they become what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new what? New creature, a new creation. Behold, the old is gone. What? The new has come. God has taken that heart of stone, that sour grape heart of yours, and put a new heart in it. There's a new vine that you are now a part of, the vine of Jesus Christ, where he says in John 15 and 5, if I remain in you and you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. There's a transformation of your heart that begins to happen as you become a part of Christ. Here's this moment when he's beginning to show us there are those who hear God's word and yet are not answering. That's some of you today. You've heard God's word for years upon years. And yet you were refusing the Savior. You were thinking you can have your best life now. You're living for the now, not in light of the then. And listen, listen, here's what happens. Look what they do. I will destine you. Look what he said, back to verse 11, sorry. 
But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain. Notice what they do here. They set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny. There's some hardness to understand about exactly what's being said. Right, some translations here render that there's there's a demonic world going on behind here. There's these demons of fortune and destiny, right? So there's there's something happening. There's these false gods. So so what's happening here? Listen, the people of Isaiah's day are just like us. They're fearful of the future. They want to be in control, right? They want to win. They want to get ahead, and so they all had these idolatrous rituals to try and control the future or to get like good luck on their side. Maybe some of you are there like, I mean, this fortune and destiny, it just describes you like you, you have to get like a lottery ticket and you become so like ritualistic in it. Like you have to show up and get your lottery ticket like the same place, the same time it has to be the same exact cashier. Right. I mean, you just become like this so ritualistic in, in consuming and serving these false gods of fortune and destiny that, man, you're living your life for it. Like you can't wait for the next scratch off or you, you've just got it like figured out like what the pick six is going to be. Like your whole life is leveraged for fortune and destiny. Why? Because deep down it reveals inside of you and inside of me, inside of us all, that we want to be masters of our own fate. If we had riches or, or whatever we are so hungering after, that would guarantee for us like finally peace. Like, if I just had that car, if I could just have that farm, if I could just, like, if we could just ever get there, if I had that relationship, then I would be happy. It's a lie. And listen to what happens here. This is, this, is, this is what's shocking about it. Back in verse 11. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain. What happens is, is, God's people knew about the holy mountain where God's law had been given and they know the truth of God's word. And yet instead of going to God, they go and climb other mountains. Because they think that deep down those mountains will finally give the peace, security, the promises, the hope that they're after. And that's what's so broken about us, guys. Is that deep down we all have these doubts that maybe God's not that good. And if we go to Him and we follow Him and we submit to His, his ways, and if, and if we are willing, as Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We thank God if I give up my now, I'm going to lose everything. And God says, listen, if you live for the now, you're going to miss out on all the then. And this, this calls for this moment of faith, this moment of surrender to live now in light of then. The truth is, let's be honest, guys, when we go and we go to other mountains, they may satisfy for a while. But even when you get to the top, you will realize those mountains never actually satisfy forever. I mean, pornography promises to and it feels good in a moment, but it leaves you dirty and guilty and ashamed in the presence of God. Right. Like some of you listen, your mountain, it, it, it may look a little bit. What happened to my thing? Here we go. I don't know how that happened. Sorry. Listen, some of you listen. I just this imagery as I was thinking through. Right. I mean, like you're consumed by work. Like it drives you. And it's, it's maybe like I don't know if you've seen the Christmas Carol. Right. I don't know if you've ever seen it. But uh, man, I encourage you. It's, 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 it's pretty good to see old Ebenezer there. Right. Oh, Ducky there. He's just man. He is. He is just so consumed by the penny. 
There's no time off. There's no, like, you can't even throw another coal in the fire to stay warm, right? I mean, there's just this moments when he begins to realize, though, throughout the play, he starts to see a picture of the then. And that glimpse of the then helps him realize that what he most values now is actually not worth it, and it's temporary, and it won't be worth it in the end. Some of you, listen today, your lives are being leveraged for the now. And I want to warn you, I want to invite you to God's holy mountain to give you a glimpse of the then, to help you realize that no matter how much you are spending, how much you're leveraging your life, how hard you're working for the now, it will not be worth it. Elvis's half-brother or, or stepbrother, exactly, I remember hearing him one time he was preaching. They said, they often ask me, how much did Elvis leave behind? He said, I always tell them the same answer. He left it all behind. Jesus says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get all these fortunes that you've been striving after? He's saying, live for the then, live for God's kingdom. And so then we get this, 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 this picture of, of what heaven is like. L- listen to this, this beautiful moment begin as this change right so we we got, got some glimpse of who's not going to be there those that are following their own way those that are going to different mountains those that are rejecting ultimately the gospel of jesus christ right they may be masking it they may appear to be on the vine but the truth is their heart is a bad grape but listen to this now again i, I tried my best this morning by the word of god and the power of the spirit to compel you to live for the then now i want to help you see what the then is why it's so worth it listen to this Beginning in verse 13, this transformation. Therefore, right? Isaiah is going to say, Here, here's, here's how you should respond to this truth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servants shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and you shall wail for breaking of spirit. Just a tough moment. A tough moment of getting this glimpse of what the, look, the contrast is right as he looks toward eternity. Because listen, we have to realize that there have been many servants of God, right, who have died maybe hungry, who have died thirsty, maybe many servants of God. And listen, don't, 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 this is not candy canes and unicorn sermon. You may still die with brokenness of spirit. You may still die in moments, right, where there's, there's pain or trouble in your heart because things didn't get right. You, you may experience heart. That's why I want you to realize this, It's not your best life now. It's your best life then. Again, we we preach these kind of texts in America and people say, oh, great. But you go to the distant shores and you see mamas that can't feed babies. You see people that, that, listen, don't have any kind of access to medicine at all. You see mothers like in Zimbabwe, I think it's like $30 for maternal care. They can't even afford $30 to get care for their children. And you realize that this must look forward to a distant shore, a kingdom that is coming. I don't have time today, but maybe you just scribble down Luke 16, 1931. This just describes perfectly this, this, this 
contrast that Jesus sets up between this man, this rich man, this poor beggar named Lazarus. This man named Lazarus who, who sits at the gate of the rich man and he longs just to eat even the scraps that fall from his table. The rich man has no time for him, right? He kind of looks like oh Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge there, right? He's just consumed with his own kingdom, his own way of life. But it says that both these men die. Lazarus ultimately was in faith, right? Because we see him going to the place of blessedness. He is comforted. But this man who had lived for this kingdom for the now, who had leveraged his family and his life for the now, this man is in hell and, and he experiences things this text describes. It says that he's thirsty and he cries out, would you just, would you just bring and let Lazarus dip his finger in water and touch me because I'm in agony in this fire, this pain that's there. He has a brokenness of spirit because he says, I've got all kinds of brothers and guess what? They must be on the same track I am. I don't want them too to come here. And this is forever, guys. This is forever. Let that image terrify you this morning, but also let it point you to Christ. Why? Because think about Christ on the cross. Guess what? He thirsted. On the cross, listen, he was naked in front of his mama, in front of his closest disciples. On the cross, he was put to shame and mocked. If he is the son of God, let him come down. He was plucked out his beard. The crown of mocking and thorns were there. The staff of the ruler was smacked and hit, not there upon the cross, but as he came toward the cross. He was there on the cross, put to shame. He experienced the breaking of spirit as he cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So if you want to know the truth of this passage, the truth is Christ experienced this for you on the cross that you don't have to experience it then forever. Isn't that a hope? Isn't that a glorious Savior? That he would experience all that for you in the midst of your sin. In the midst of being in rebellion today. And he calls you, come in. I will forgive you. I can cleanse you. What a hope this morning. What joy this morning. Listen, and so we begin to see this, this hope come to life. Verse 17. For behold, I create, look what he says here, new heavens and a new earth. There's new heavens and new earth. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, that the, the current heavens, he says, listen, in the current earth, they're going to be destroyed with fire. He says the elements will, will melt. And it says in verse 13, there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth where righteousness dwells. Revelation 21 and 1, John looks and he sees this new heaven, this new earth. He says, because the old heaven and earth had passed away. There's this new heaven, this new earth again coming. Right, it's, it's, it's just this hope of, of some new land, of a new place, right? I mean, realize for a moment that every sunset you've seen, every sunrise, every bird in flight, every wave that you've seen crash at the sea, every changing of the leaves, and on and on, everything you've ever seen has been under the curse. We haven't seen anything yet. Can you imagine the beauty of that day? of seeing the beauty of what Christ is going to, what He has brought, what He has won on our behalf. So listen, as you want to know what will heaven be like, listen again, this new heaven, new earth, as Isaiah describes it. Look what he says here. Ah, I need to go back. So that, verse 16, he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth. Because, listen to this, this, this speaking about what you wondered, what will heaven be like? Let's throw a couple things at you as we close. Because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. Further, what he says, verse 17. And the former things shall not be remembered. So we got former things again. We had former troubles, former things not remembered or come into mind. 
Does this mean that we'll forget everything about this life? I don't think so, but I don't know. The reason why my interpretation is it doesn't mean that the things of this life are totally forgotten. What he's saying is, I think, is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 17. That our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. I think that when we come to that day and we see the glory of Christ, like, I mean, this is a similar question I've been asked at times. Can people in heaven see things that are happening on earth? And my honest response is, I don't know. But if they do see it, they see everything in light of Christ. They see that he is, he is, there is no foe. There is no work of Satan that will ever come against him and his people that will overcome them. They see everything in light of Christ. And so as we think back, listen, as you think back on your life, listen, the cancer that it may have raged or, or that untimely death or that awful moment of brokenness in relationships or that terrible season that you walked through. You will see it in light of Christ to realize that if God be for us, then who can be against us? You will realize, according to what Joseph said, that what you intended for evil, God used for what? For good. And it, it won't, listen, it does, that doesn't diminish these heartbreaking things here and now, but it does give us hope of a then. Do you see it? It gives us hope of a then, of a place in which troubles and things that we experience in this life are so far in the rear view because of what Christ has won that there's no longer any misery there. There's no longer any trouble. Listen, not only is there no more troubles, listen, There's no more crying, tears, or even death. Look what he says here. Verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more. Listen to this. No more shall be heard at the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. I don't know if you know this, but Psalm 56 and 8 says these words. "You You have kept count of my tossings. My tears are in your bottle. They are written in your book. You know what that means? Is that all those sleepless nights that you've experienced because of whatever you're going through, God was counting every turn. I can't sleep. God, I can't believe this is happening. God, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen next. Right? I mean, just he's kept count. All the tears that you've cried that maybe nobody else sees to care about or nobody else has noticed, it says that God's kept them as if they were in a bottle. He's seen every single one of those. And he says, I want you to know there'll come a day. It's not now, it's then. You've got to hope for this day. You've got to look for this day. You've got you to rest in this day. No more shall be heard and at the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Again, so listen, why? Why, why no more crying? Why no more distress? I, I think in a couple of things here, again, this, this, this idea of no more death. Look what he says. Verse 20. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. No more death of infants. Or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old. And the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be no more miscarriages. Right. He's starting to point. He's starting to tell us what this this kingdom's going to be about. Right. No more children being born to experience the heartache and the darkness of this world. For he says they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. All right. I'm going to be honest. This is really hard to interpret. Can I just be straight with you and say, I don't I don't know. I want to give you a couple things, maybe. Again, for some of you, man, you're, you're very information-driven, so this is, this, is going to be, this is going to be good for you. Others of you just like, man, just give me the practical stuff. I'm not sure necessarily if I like all that as much. Just hang in there, right? Hopefully the rest of the message has, has, has been there for you. So here's what we've got to deal with, right? Look what he says here. There's, there's an old man who does not fill out his days, for the young man shall die. So there's an indication of death, all right? 
There's the indication, verse again, verse 20. The sinner is there. Right? So we've got to ask some questions. If this is the new heaven, the new earth, then how come there's death and how come there's sinners? And that's hard. Maybe here's what I might say, just a couple of things to throw at you to maybe give you some, some things to chew on. Again, this is, this is difficult. This is part of working through God's Word. Is You realize that Isaiah writes to a people in 700 B.C. who are 700 years prior to even experiencing Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Right? Christ's resurrection from the dead is this final affirmation that death actually has been struck a lethal blow and will be swallowed up. Okay? So you, you've got to realize that Isaiah writes, and maybe he's communicating to a people that have a hard time understanding how can somebody live forever, and so he paints it in terms that they can understand. To say, listen, can you imagine, right, there's no more infants who die there. The young man, right, shall die 100 years old. Like it's, and he says, uh, I don't know if I even wrote it down there in the, or including the text, but... Yeah, verse 22, for like the days of a tree shall it be the days of my people. Like they long enjoy the work of their hands. Like there's going to be this long life. And, and so maybe Isaiah is using this to help us understand what this kingdom is like. He's still talking about the new heaven, new earth. Others would say, no, I'm not sure, right? The, the fact that there's death there, there's sinners there. Maybe this speaks about what's called the millennium. And, and we don't have time today, but Revelation 20, you can write it down. And maybe you're, you're, you're really into this and this will, this will strike your fire and get you to go look further. There's some different views on exactly what's happening here. Okay, you have to understand. So here's Revelation 20 says that Christ is going to return. There's going to be a thousand years in which Satan is bound, right? He's chained. He's going to be loosed again. There's going to be this final war, right? And so people are struggling, right? I spent about three hours this week just trying to work through different views to understand how do people come to their different views of how they understand the millennium. The millennium indicates a thousand years. Here's a couple, right? I'm going to throw them at you quickly. We've got to move forward. But one is... There's a post-tribulation millennialism, premillennialism, right? What that indicates is, is that obviously you can see on the text here, that we are here now. There's this tribulation that's going to come, right? Some understand that to be seven years. Some interpret it differently. But nonetheless, there's a time in which at the, post, at the end of the tribulation, why is it post-trib? Because at the end of the tribulation, Christ comes and he sets up his millennium. They understand then, if you hold this view, that during this time there will still be unbelievers and there will still be death. Hence, Isaiah's words here in Isaiah 65 right? That those that died a hundred will still be accursed, right? So there's understanding of how do we make sense of what Isaiah is saying, right? Others understand themselves to be pre-tribulation, right? And so they understand the rapture of the church coming prior to the tribulation. At the end of seven years, Christ comes, sets up his thousand years right there. Um, post-millennial. Post-millennials are those who think and they see and they say, listen, I think that God's kingdom is going to conquer or triumph here on the earth at the end time of, of, of all things in essence kind of becoming much better, Christ will return and set up his kingdom. Then there are those who describe to this view. It's called the all-millennial, right? And, and the word A before the start of a word indicates usually negation, right? Saying there's no millennium. And, and they would not be happy with this thought to say there's no millennium. But they're saying the millennium is happening now. It's happening in heaven, right, as God, as Christ is reigning. And so it's reigning over that. At the end of this period of time, Christ will come and set it up. And so they say, listen, that's how it makes sense of this. This describes what's happening now. So you see there's different views, right? Again, take that for what it's worth, right? Some of you is like, I don't care about that. You just, that was boring. Thanks for that. Others of you are like, dude, I want to study this more, right? That's why we're all different. It's good, okay? But I want to throw that at you to help you understand how do we interpret hard text. Isaiah 65 here is a hard text, when we hear the statement, new heaven, new earth, and yet there are people dying and there are sinners there. So you've got to some way make sense of it. No matter what the case, hold this fast as we come to a close. Isaiah 25 and 8, it's not there on the screen. 
But he says this statement, he will swallow up death forever. So no matter how you interpret this part of the passage, know there's coming a day when he will swallow up death forever. So again, think about heaven. No more troubles, no more tears, no more crying, no more death, no more pointless work. Look what he says here. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build another inhabit. They shall not plant another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. You ever get that crop just perfect and then there's no rain? Like you think this is going to be the year. Like things are so, like, I mean, you, it, man, everything just came together. It hit. And then they're like there's this long period of drought. Maybe you've had, like you're a gardener, right? And you've, you, you just, man, the garden, you can't wait. Like tomorrow's the day when you're going to pick those beans. You're going to get that corn, get that tomato or whatever. And you show up the next day and find that there has been something that's come into your garden and ruined that crop. You ever had those moments? He's saying, listen, maybe some of you, you've been there and you, you were in the midst of, 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 of schoolwork and you've kind of wondered like, hey, teach, this seems a lot like busy work. Like, why are we... This seems pointless, right? You ever been at work maybe and you worked super hard on a project and instead of you getting credit, somebody else did and that person in fact got the promotion that you in fact deserved? Saying that, all of that's going to be gone forever. No more pointless work. No more pointless work. This beauty of it. Again, there's so much. Listen, I've loved preaching through Isaiah, but part of me will be glad when we get past this season. It has been crazy hard. And sometimes I've struggled to like, how do I not get all this in and still communicate what he's trying to say? So I'm doing my best. Please pray for me. We've got one chapter left for you, the rest of you. Hang on, right? Hang on. Listen to what he says, verse 24, as we finish. I said that about five times, which is part of what you're not supposed to do as a preacher, right? This statement right here, right? I don't know if you've ever been on a plane, but the, the stewardess don't come and promise to land early because you look bored or annoyed, right? But as preachers, we look out and think, man, these people, I'm not sure. It's been a long time. So we're like, it's almost over. It's almost over. It's almost over. And you know, in fact, we're taking another lap, right? You know it. You know it. And yet you still keep coming back. So, man, I kind of believe God's word is good. It's feeding you. There's things you wish you could probably change about me. If I'm honest, there's things I wish you could change about you too, right? Let's be honest. Okay, so we pray for each other. That's just, I don't, none of this is unscripted. Get back to the script, man. I'm going to get in trouble. All right, please don't let that offend you. I love you. Please come back. Please come back. All right, come on. Let's finish, man. Let's finish, finish, finish. Come on. This is a beautiful thing. Again, about heaven. You're thinking about this is why you're living your life for the then. This is why you're living now. This is why you're leveraging everything for now. This is it. Before they call, I will answer. You ever had prayers that just didn't go answered? Times when you wonder, God, where are you? Why this, God? God, do you see? Do you care? God, I'm praying. I'm fasting. Other people are like, but it says this day while they are yet speaking out here you can't even get the words out boom that's th- this is just a beautiful moment no more distance between us and god no more having to wait and then look at this as he closes verse 25 the wolf and the lamb shall graze together this is probably a passage maybe you've heard at some point the wolf and the lamb shall graze together the lion shall eat straw like the ox and dust shall be the serpent's food they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains says the lord there's no more danger no more threat there can you imagine going for a swim in the depths of the ocean? Some of you are always worried about, dun 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 Right? Can you imagine? Can you imagine not having to worry anymore about sending your kids out? Can you imagine no longer having to be fearful, right? Some of you deal with super fears. Can you imagine? That's the then. And so Isaiah says, live for now. Live the now in light of that then. A couple things to let you close. Number one, don't mask the bad grapes. 
Don't mask the bad grapes. Just be honest today. Come clean with God and tell Him the truth about your heart. He already knows. And Christ died for you in the midst of your bad grapes. It's the love of God towards you. His hands are stretched out on that cross today, crying out to you today. Would you come? Would you respond to the gospel? Some of you, listen, you've lost someone that you dearly love today and now. Live in light of the then, knowing that there is a future resurrection coming. Hope in that today. This is not the end. Some of you, listen, maybe you, you're struggling. I had a conversation in a restroom. Weird place to have a conversation, but I did. We were washing our hands, okay? But we're, we're in the restroom. And I had a conversation with a guy who says, listen, man, I don't think my wife and I are ever going to have kids because this world is so dark and so messed up, I would not want to bring a kid into this world. And Isaiah's writing about that, right? That there's no longer that calamity. Children born for calamity. But my counter to that guy and to you is that God will always have His people who will bring light into the midst of that darkness to show them the way to Christ. So I encourage you, let that then overcome your now fear. If that's you. Some of you, man, it's just practical. You need to give up the lot or you, you are after fortune and destiny and it will never, ever satisfy. I could go on and on and I've gone long enough, so... Blessed be the name of the Lord. This blessed Savior gave His life. He thirsted. He experienced pain and suffering. He experienced the worst of the then, the hell. That to now and then you might experience the goodness of God and delight in Him. Today will you repent and believe upon the name of Jesus to be forgiven and cleansed and to receive the Spirit of God and now live with hope that that then is your future. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news. Would you pray? Father, thank you, God, that you are so much greater than all my weaknesses and frailties. Thank you, God, that you know exactly what Isaiah 65 intends to say and that one day you'll make that clear to us. Thank you, Lord God, that you could use a fallen person like me to communicate the hope of the gospel. Lord God, blessed be your name. Please, God, I pray now you would just move by the power of your spirit, the truth of your word. And I pray you would use this time just to draw many people to you. Please, God, use it to strengthen the believer, God, to live for the then and not the now. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.